Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor at Northwood right here in North Charleston, South Carolina. And I am so thankful that you are taking the time today to listen to this message. And I do hope and pray that what you are about to hear encourages you, blesses you, helps you to understand the word of God better, and most importantly, reminds you of how much the God of all creation loves you. I think today's message is going to be a blessing to you. So thank you for listening. And if you're in the North Charleston area, we would love to have you on our campus any Sunday morning at either 9.30 or 11 o'clock. If you're not in the North Charleston area, you can always find us on the web, northwoodbaptist.com. You can visit our YouTube page. You can visit our Facebook page. You can live stream us every Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11. We would love for you to be our guest, either on campus or online. So you're welcome to join us anytime you'd like. We'd love to have you. I do hope that today's message is a blessing and encouragement to you. And I hope that today's message helps you connect faith to life. All right, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the Gospel of Luke as we continue our journey through Luke's Gospel. We started Luke's Gospel back in December, and we're just walking through chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we are looking at this morning, Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 17. That's where we are this morning, Luke 9, 1 through 17. In a moment, I'm going to read to you uh, from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And so go ahead and find that in your Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, that's okay, because in the seat before you down in the book rack, you should find a copy of the Bible. Pick that Bible up and find Luke's gospel with, you, with us. If you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you, read it, and learn about the God that loves you and desires a relationship with you. Luke 9, 1 through 17 is where we are this morning. Uh, if you're new to the Bible, and uh, Luke's gospel is really easy to find. If you can find the New Testament, you can find Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel is the third gospel in the New Testament. So find Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Luke 9, uh, verses 1 through 17. That's where we are this morning. I miss you guys last week, but I know uh, Cody did a great job uh, preaching last week. He, he did an outstanding job. I'm very thankful for him and, and very thankful for, uh, for how God is, is shaping him and using him in a lot of ways. And so thank you, Cody, for preaching last Sunday. The only thing that will make Cody's preaching better is if he got a haircut. So we're working on that. Other than that, he did a great you're right, you're right. Cody's a fine-looking young man. I get it. So, so yeah, but I'm very thankful that he stepped up and really did an outstanding job last week. So Stacy and I, last weekend, uh, we, were, we were at a wedding. Um, I don't know if you guys know Casey and Lily Narrows. Uh, Casey uh, and Lily have been a part of our church for a long time, and, and Casey is stationed in Pensacola with the Navy, and so he wasn't able to come here to have their wedding, and so we went there, and so we were in, in, in Gulf Shores, Alabama, which is a really neat place, and just a, a beautiful wedding. Lily, you might know Lily because uh, many Sundays over the last couple of years, she was on this stage singing with our worship team, you know, black hair, wears the glasses, just a lovely young lady. Uh, and, and so it was very, I was honored to be able to participate in their wedding and, and to, to do that ceremony. We had a great time with them. And that's one of the joys being a pastor is I, I get to do a lot of weddings and get to see a lot of young couples starting out. And it's a lot of fun. Um, but I tell you, after uh, being a part of, I don't know how many weddings over the course of 20 years of ministry, I think that the hardest working person at a wedding is the photographer. 
I don't know if any of you like photography or into photography or do photography, but those photographers, man, that's a job. I mean, and I, I don't know how many weddings you've been to recently, but, but if you go to a wedding now, you're likely to see not one photographer, but two or three photographers. And, and, and they've got four or five cameras strapped around their body. And they're just taking, I don't even know how many photos they take during a wedding. It must be, you know, 15 or 16,000 shots they take. I have no idea. But can you imagine the pressure of being a wedding photographer? Because it is your job. You're getting paid. And you're getting paid a lot of money, right? You're getting paid to capture the most significant moments of that day. And as so you're capturing candid shots, you're, 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 you're doing the, also the posed shots. I mean, it's a big deal. But not only, you know, think about that day and the pressure of taking the right photos on that day, but then that photographer has to take all 15,000 of those photos and go home and put those photos on his computer or her computer and then start editing those photos. And I don't know much about editing photos, but I I know that's got to take a lot of time. And so I don't know the number of hours that it takes to, 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 to get those photos done, but I'm sure that once that photographer gives that bride and groom that finished product, there's been a lot of hours that have gone into doing those photos well. It's a big deal. No wonder when you hire a wedding photographer, you pay that photographer a lot of money because it's a lot of work. I, uh, I read an article this past week about, about this young lady, her and, and her her husband, they had gotten married and, and had this photographer they hired. And anyway, the marriage didn't go well. After four years of being married, uh, this, this, this husband and wife, they divorced. It was kind of a sad story. And, and so the, the, the bride, the wife who'd been married to her husband for four years, they divorced. She reached out to the photographer who did the photos four years earlier. I don't know if you saw this or not, but it was on the news. So let me just read this. I thought it was really fascinating. So she texts the photographer after she's divorced. And this is what she says. She says, hi, how are you? And she says, I don't know if you still remember me. You did a photo shoot for me at my wedding in Durban in 2019. The photographer says, yeah, I'm okay. Thank you. Trust you well. Yes, I remember. How may I be of service? And she says, well, I'm now divorced. And those pictures, I and my ex-husband, we don't need them anymore. You did a wonderful job on them, but they went to waste as we are now divorced. I will need a refund of the amount we paid you because we don't need them anymore. So to which he says, pardon me, this has to be a joke, right? And she's, no, dear, I'm very serious. And he goes on to say, I'm very sorry to hear that you and your husband divorced, but as I'm sure you can figure out, that's not going to happen. And so, so you can go, I mean, it's, it's really odd. You can go and you can read the whole dialogue because this dude posted it on Twitter. You can go and read the whole dialogue where they go back and forth about him owing her money because they got divorced. She won her refund on the photos. And it ends with, I'm gonna let my lawyer look at these messages and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get my lawyer after you. So which he says, bring your lawyer on, right? <laughs> Suffice it to say, this wife or ex-wife now, she did not get the refund. She wanted it. She wanted that money back. It was pretty ingenious, I guess, of her to try to get it back, but she did not get what she wanted. Now, here, here's the deal. You've been around long enough to know that you don't always get what you want. And here's what I know. In a room like this, we all have lots of, come on now, be honest with me. In a room like this, we all have lots of things that we want. 
You can, you can make a list right now of all the things that you want out of life. And for you, I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe for you, you, you just want a nap this afternoon. That'd be a big, big, big deal for you, right? Or maybe it's something else. You, you, you want that promotion at work. You want that, that marriage just to work out really well. You want your kids to follow Jesus. Uh, whatever it is, you want a vacation. I mean, you can fill up a page of stuff that you want. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news for you this morning, but you don't always get what you want. And I, I know I'm a pastor and I study the scripture and I preach God's word, but, but can I tell you just from scripture, God never promises that he's gonna give you everything that you want. That's not the way life works. But here's what I do know, that even though in this life, you might not get everything you want, the God of all creation who sent his son, Jesus Christ for you, he knows how to provide for you. You might not get everything you want in this life, but our Lord Jesus Christ knows how to give you what you need. And here's here's what I know this morning. I'm looking at a room of people who have a lot of need. You need Jesus this morning. You need Jesus in your marriage and you know it. You need Jesus in your parenting and you know it. You need Jesus on your job and you know it. You know in your, come on now, you know that there is no place in your life where you do not need Jesus. You know it. That's why I love the stories we're looking at this morning. Because Jesus reminds us very clearly that he is the one that we need. And I want to show you from these two stories this morning, one of them is a very famous story. I want to to show you this morning how your King, your Lord, Jesus Christ provides for you. I want to show you how he provides for you. And so as we walk through uh, this text this morning, I want to show you two truths that I think are going to help you to remember that Jesus provides for you. So take your Bibles, look at Luke chapter 9, if you will. Go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the reading of God's Word together. I'm going to start reading in verse 10. We're going to read verses 10 down through 17 together. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with this story. Listen to what the Bible says. When the apostles returned, They reported to Jesus all that they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds found out, they they followed him. He welcomed them, spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the day, the 12 approached and said to him, send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a deserted place here. You give them something to eat, Jesus told them. We have no more than five loaves and two fish, they said, unless we go and buy food for all these people. And for about 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus told his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did what he said and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and, and broke them. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Father, thank you for this morning, for time to be together in your word. And Father, we believe that your word is truth. And we believe that your spirit speaks to us through your word. And so Father, as we uh, study together, we trust, we believe that you are speaking to us. And Father, we confess this morning that we are a needy people. We need Jesus. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your voice. And Father, here we are on this Memorial Day weekend where we take time each year to remember the sacrifice of men and women who have died 
for the sake of this country. And Father, here we are, and we're, we're proud. We're proud to live in this country. We're proud to be Americans. We're thankful for the sacrifice of many. But Father, while we're proud of this country and to be citizens of what I believe is the greatest nation on the face of the earth, at the same time, our hearts are broken for this nation. Think about these past few years, past decade or so, it seems like our nation has taken a very hard turn away from anything that resembles truth. And it breaks our heart. When we, when we uh, see in the media or see it for ourselves, our own community, just the blatant immorality, it breaks our heart to see the sinfulness that surrounds us in this nation. And Father, we don't know what the days ahead hold for this country, but how we long to see godly leadership in this nation. I don't know when it was last time it was that we had a president who actually honored Jesus. That'd be a miracle of your grace if you would give us that kind of president in 2024. I don't know when the last time it was that we saw a real move of your spirit across this city and across this state and across this nation. We would love to see that. So Father, while we are thankful for the sacrifice of many, we are asking this morning for you to do a work in our country that people would see that there is a God who, who rules and reigns and who is the king of a much better kingdom than these United States of America. And help us put our eyes on you. Father, now as we study your word, we're listening carefully to what you're saying. Speak to us, I ask. Let us respond this morning in faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in Luke chapter nine. Now I need to tell you that Luke chapter nine, it really is an important chapter in Luke's gospel because here's the deal. When we read through Luke chapter nine, what you're gonna discover is that, that this is the end of Jesus's ministry in Galilee. And, and so, so as we finish up uh, this particular section of Luke's gospel, by the time we get to the end of chapter nine, Jesus is going to turn his face to Jerusalem. He's gonna tell his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And so Luke 9, it really is the turning point in Luke's gospel. It's a significant chapter because in in Luke chapter 9, here's what Luke wants you and me to know. Here's what he wants his audience to know. Luke wants us to know that Jesus, he is, Jesus, he is the king. Now you already know that. and, And Luke's already told us that thus far in this gospel, but Luke is making it very explicit in Luke chapter 9, who Jesus is. And, 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 and Luke is reminding us in Luke chapter Chapter 9, that Jesus is the king that we must follow. We're going to follow, Luke is telling us, a king that is going to die and then rise from the dead. And Luke is telling us uh, through the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9 that, that, that this king, Jesus, who's going to die and rise again, he calls us to die too. He calls us to lay down our lives for him. This is a very, 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 very important chapter in Luke's gospel. And it's interesting how this chapter opens up. Now, you know this, I don't have to remind you of this, but I'm going to, that that Jesus has called to himself 12 men. We call them the apostles. The scripture calls them the apostles. And, and, and these apostles, there's gonna come a day when, when Jesus dies and he rises again and, and Jesus ascends to the Father. These 12, they are going to be the foundation of the early church. They're going to live on the mission of Jesus. And so the first few, now follow me, the first few verses of Luke chapter nine, Jesus is going to send the 12 out on a mission. 
And it's kind of like a preview of what's going to come after Jesus dies, rises again, and ascends to the Father and leaves them on this earth. You, you follow? And now, now think about it. We, we looked at Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8, we, we talked about the parable of the, of the soils and there's good soil and there's not so good soil. And they, they've seen this. Uh, they, they saw in, for example, in the Gerasenes, there was good soil, that there was a, a demon-possessed man who was transformed by Christ and came to faith in Christ. That was good soil. While the rest of the garrison said, get out of here, Jesus. We don't want you here. That was bad soil. Cody walked you through the rest of chapter eight last week where you saw Jairus and his daughter and you saw, you saw this woman with an issue of blood. Good soil because they respond to Jesus in faith. When, when others, we've already found out Luke's gospel, failed to respond to Jesus in faith. And so now Jesus is going to send out these disciples And they're going out. The 12 of them are going out and they're going to encounter some of the same things that Jesus has encountered. Good soil and not so good soil. Now, now here's what you and I know about the disciples. Here's what we know about them. They they ain't done this before. You follow? Like up to this point in the story, the disciples have watched. They've been around Jesus. Uh, They've seen him do miracles. Uh, they, they've heard him teach, but they have not done this. I mean, I'm sure they've talked to others about Jesus and the kingdom of God, but, but not in the way that Jesus is about to send them out to do. And you know what they've never done? They've never performed any miracles. But now Jesus is about to send them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and, and, and do miracles. They haven't done this. Like they lack in experience with this. Do you follow me? And, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but the disciples, not only have they not done this, they don't know a lot. I mean, you know this. I mean, they don't seem to be the sharpest tools in the shed sometimes. And in fact, we saw it a couple of weeks ago when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with the disciples and Jesus calmed the waves and the winds by the sound of his voice. He said, peace be still. The disciples in the boat, you remember what they asked? They said, who in the world is this? Now, they know that Jesus is from God. And, and I think they've got an idea that Jesus is the Messiah and all those kinds of things. But Jesus has not died yet. He has not risen from the dead yet. They don't have every bit of knowledge quite yet about who Jesus is. And they're still in some ways trying to figure this out. And so they haven't done this. They don't know a lot. Uh, they're rather inexperienced when it comes to, to serving Jesus. But yet here, Jesus is going to send out some men who don't know a lot, who don't have a lot of experience. He's gonna say, go. Now look at what it says in the text. This is really interesting. You come down to verse one and, and listen to what Luke records. Luke says that Jesus summoned the 12. Now watch this, underline these words. He gave them what? Power and authority. What power is? Power is the ability to do something. Jesus gives the apostles, the 12, the ability to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus gives the apostles the ability to cast out demons. Jesus gives the apostles the ability to heal the sick. He gave them power and authority. Authority is the right to do it. They were empowered by Jesus with the right, the authority to do these things in the name of Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? On their own, these disciples aren't very bright. On their own, these disciples lack experience. On their own, uh, these disciples uh, don't have all the knowledge they need. But, 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 but Jesus sends them out with his power and his authority. Jesus provides them with what they need to accomplish his will. Now, that's a big thing for you to understand. 
Because you in this room this morning, you have lots of things that you want. You don't always get what you want and you know that. But Jesus knows how to give you exactly what you need to live for him. You, now, now come on, come on, come on, come on. Listen, 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 listen. You never lack in what you need as a follower of Jesus to accomplish the will of God. You hear me? Now, look at what it says. He gives them power and authority to proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick. And then look at verse three. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. And don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. You see it? There's this sense of urgency Like go, don't take with you extra clothes. Don't take a staff, don't take money, don't take food, just go. Go and proclaim the kingdom, go heal the sick, go cast out demons. There's a sense of urgency. You guys gotta get about this now. But not only is there this sense of urgency in the text, there's this idea that if these disciples are going to accomplish the mission that Jesus is sending them out to do here in Luke chapter nine, what must they do? They must trust Jesus, that Jesus is going to provide. They're gonna have to know. You're gonna go into some places and it ain't gonna go well. Shake the the dust off your feet and move on. But there are gonna be some places where you're received and you're welcome. There's gonna be good soil. Stay there. Do the work I've called you to do there. But trust me. And what the Bible says is as they went, they proclaimed the kingdom of God and they healed. They'd never done that before. Can you imagine what it must have been like when Peter was there with somebody who was lame and the first time, right, the spirit of God was at work healing through Peter. Man, that's a big day, right? Or think about maybe Andrew casting out a demon. Well, I didn't expect that to happen, right? But but God is using them. Jesus Christ had given them what they needed to accomplish his will, power and authority. And I just want to remind you this morning that Jesus has given you everything you need to serve him. You don't lack. Now, now, when I say that, listen, Jesus provides the resources you need to serve him. That's the first truth I want you to see. And so what that means, now watch this. Now, just bear with me. You can't wait to be fully prepared to serve Jesus. Because I think for some of us, that's what we think. That I can't really serve Jesus well until I am fully prepared. And so what happens for us, now watch this, I want to make sure you understand. We, we, we begin to give God lots of excuses for why we can't serve him. And for some of us, it's the knowledge excuse. I don't know enough. I mean, I, I, I know some of the Bible, but, but I don't know a lot of it. I don't understand how everything in the Old Testament works. I don't, there's some hard passages in the New Testament. I mean, I just don't feel like I know enough about the Bible to do any good for anybody. I don't have the knowledge I need. And so we'll use that knowledge excuse or, or think about this. We'll use the experience excuse, right? I mean, I've, I've never done it before. I mean, I, I don't have the experience to, to share the gospel with my neighbor. I mean, maybe you can come over, Pastor Tom, and help me with that because I, I don't think I can do that because I've never done it before. Or, or to go on that mission trip to Japan. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I mean, I've never gotten a plane, period. You want me to go do that? I mean, I just don't have that kind of experience. I don't see how God would use me there. I mean, I just don't have the knowledge and I don't have the experience or, or maybe it's the resource excuse, right? 
I mean, that, that idea of, of serving on mission in the Dominican Republic sounds good, but I mean, that, that's a financial cost and I don't think I can do that. Or I certainly don't have the time. I mean, my life is real busy and, and to, 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 to take time to invest in my neighbors and have them over for dinner so I can share the gospel with them. I mean, I don't have that kind of time. And so, I mean, I'd like to, but I, I don't have the experience. I don't have the knowledge. I don't, I don't have the resources. And, and then the excuse of what? Life problems. I mean, pa- pastor, you, you just don't understand how hard my life is right now. My, my marriage is on the rocks. My kids are rebelling and it's tough at work and this is going on and I've got this exam coming up and this and that. I mean, I mean, life's hard right now. And maybe when life calms down, then I can give more attention to ministry. I mean, I'd like to serve. I want to serve, but, but I, I, I just can't right now because of all the problems that I'm going through. Now, let's just stop right there and understand what all those things are. Excuses. And we get really good, don't we, church? We get really good at giving excuses for why we can't serve the Lord. And and, and so this is exclusive. I can't do it unless I'm fully prepared, unless everything lines up exactly like it's supposed to, unless this happens and this happens. I can't serve the Lord until these things fall into place. But watch, you can't wait to be fully prepared to serve Jesus. And you can't underestimate how you've already already, already been prepared to serve Jesus. Listen, listen, listen. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning, do you know what you have inside of you? The Spirit of God. Do you know what you have around you? A church that loves you and wants to help you. Do you have, you have a, the Word of God in your lap this morning that you're reading? Don't tell me that you're not prepared. Don't tell me you don't have the resources. Don't tell me you can't do it because you have everything you need. Now, could you grow in knowledge? Absolutely. Could you gain some more experience? Absolutely. Could you use some more resources? Absolutely. But don't tell me you can't because you can. If you have the spirit of God living inside of you, if you have God's people surrounding you, if you have the word of God instructing you, then you have what you need to start serving Jesus today. And what you also have is what? A changed life. You have a testimony. You can sit down with somebody else and tell them what Christ has done for you through his death and resurrection. Don't tell me you can't serve. Don't give me excuses because the spirit of God has given you what you need. Jesus provides for you exactly what you need to serve him even right now. I don't know if you believe that or not. Because I think for many of us, we get stuck in those excuses. I can't, I can't, not realizing what we have in Christ. We were in um, Orange Beach last week doing that wedding and that's kind of on the border of of Alabama and Florida. And so so after the wedding on uh, Sunday, uh, or actually Saturday, we left Sunday morning from Orange Beach and, and headed down the Florida coast. And, and, and on our way down the Florida coast, we, we stopped in one of our favorite beaches. I think it's the most beautiful beach in America. I've never been to all the beaches in America, but I'm, I'm sure this is top of the list. We stopped in, in Destin, Florida, and maybe you've been to Destin, Florida before. If you haven't, you need to go there. It's gorgeous. I love Charleston, but listen, folly ain't nothing compared to Destin. You understand? I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. You walk on that beach. We got there Sunday 
Sunday. I don't know. We've been listening to Cody in the car. We cut Cody off and we got out of the car and we, and we, and we, we, we spent about an hour or so walking on the beach and, 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 and those Gulf Shore beaches, I'm just telling you that, that, that sand, I mean, it, it's just this pristine white sand. And, and when the, the water hits that sand and then the sun hits the water and the sand just right, it's got this pink hue about it. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. And then the water, and I don't understand the science behind it. I should understand. I need to take a class or read a book or something or watch a YouTube video, but, but something so I can understand how that water is, is so crystal clear. I mean, it's amazing. You, you look down and you can see straight to the bottom, this beautiful bluish turquoise water. You can see the little fish swimming around. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing place to be. And so we walk that beach and, and here's what we had. Here's what we had. We had time Sunday because we weren't here. I didn't have to preach Sunday morning. We could take our time. My parents were here in Charleston taking care of our boys. And they said they would stay through Monday so we could stay in Destin overnight and, and, and everything would be taken care of. And so we had time, we had resources, we had parents taking care here. And so, so, so after we walked the beach, we said, okay, we need to stay in Destin. What I did not do is I didn't book a hotel in Destin before we left. So we were in the car, we pulled over in the CVS parking lot because it was the closest parking lot I could find, got on our phones and looked, went to hotels.com to try to find a place to stay in Destin, Florida. And listen, if we're gonna spend the money to stay in Destin, Florida, the most beautiful beach in America, where do we wanna stay? On the beach front, right? Like, like I wanna get up in the morning and, and open the, the windows and walk out on the balcony and see that gorgeous sand and see that gorgeous water. And so we look and look and like the cheapest you could find was like $300, $400 a night. And listen, I'm, I'm just a, a cheap preacher and, and like I, I ain't paying that, right? I mean, just not for one night in a, in a hotel. And so we started looking off the beach and off the beach. I mean, the cheapest we could find was $200, $250. And I wasn't gonna pay that to, to, to you know, to wake up in the morning and look out the window and see traffic. I wasn't gonna do that either. And so we're trying to figure it out. And, and while we're there in, in, in the car trying to figure it out, then we see it. Storm clouds in the distance. And we hear the thunder. And, and I check my weather app. It was like a 60% chance of rain for the rest of the day. I'm like, I'm not paying $400 a night or $250 a night to, to be in Destin and get rained on where I can't even enjoy the beach, right? And so, so after sitting in the car, for, I don't know, for 45 minutes or so, so, trying to figure out what we were gonna do and searching for hotels uh, about one o'clock in the afternoon or so, what, guess what's the time? We, we, we pulled the car out of the parking lot and made the nine hour trip home. I regret that. I wish we'd have spent the money because I had to come home and deal with my kids. You know, I mean, I wish we'd have stayed in Destin or, I mean, I love them, but you understand what I'm saying. I mean, this, this, we don't, it was our 15th year anniversary of marriage. It was Stacy's birthday week. I, I don't remember the last time we got away by ourselves. We had the opportunity was there. The opportunity was there for us to spend some extra time together in the most beautiful beach in America. And, and we came home. Why? because it wasn't exactly like we wanted it to be. You follow? If it wasn't like exactly like we wanted it to be, we weren't gonna stick around. I tell you that to remind you, that's how you and I approach faith oftentimes. If God doesn't line it up exactly like it's supposed to be, I ain't doing it. If, if God doesn't work it out on my terms, I'm not gonna serve him. And we start doing it. We give all those excuses, not realizing that Jesus has provided you with everything you need to serve him right now. So stop it with the excuses. Stop it 
with the excuses and ask God today, what is it, God, that you want me to do today to show my allegiance and loyalty to you, to obey you in the way that I serve? Ask him and stop making the excuses. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. We got, we got to move fast, very fast. Don't look at your watch. I just did it for you. So you come down and you look at verse seven. This is interesting. It's like this random insertion into the story. Herod the Tetrarch. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but when, when, when Luke, the gospel writer, speaks of Herod the Tetrarch, he's not talking about King Herod. That was the king when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is his son who is, is leading over in Galilee. And what happens is Herod the Tetrarch, he begins to, to hear about these 12 apostles and the miracles they're taking place. And he begins to hear about this kingdom that's being proclaimed by these apostles. He's hearing about Jesus and he's wondering what in the world? I mean, I beheaded John the Baptist who was talking about this guy. Has John the Baptist come back from the dead? That'd be kind of weird. Or I've, I've heard these Jewish people talk about Elijah coming someday. I mean, is that what's going on? And, 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 and listen to what it says in verse nine. He says, I beheaded him, speaking of John the Baptist, Herod said, but who, underline this, who is this I hear such things about? And he wanted to see Jesus. Now he doesn't see Jesus here, but Luke 23, before Jesus is crucified, Herod Antipas is going to get his wish. He's going to see Jesus. We'll get to that later on, probably five years from now, but bear with me. But, but listen, listen to the question. Who is this? That's the same question. Back in Luke's gospel in chapter eight, when, when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus had calmed the wind and the waves, they said, who in the world is this? Herod's answering the same question, asking the same question. And so now what Luke does is Luke emphatically answers that question. You follow me? And the next story that Luke's gonna tell us, a story that's in all four gospels, the feeding of the multitude, the gospel writers are answering the question emphatically, who is this? And you know the story. The apostles, they come back. They're excited. After all, they've done miracles. They've proclaimed the kingdom. They've seen people respond. And they just want some time with Jesus to, to debrief, to talk about all they experienced. And so Jesus takes them to a deserted in Mark's gospel, Mark calls it a remote or desolate place. But they can't get away from the crowd. It's a big crowd, 5,000 men. It could have been by the time you add up the kids and the, the, the women, 10,000, 20,000, 25,000 people. We just don't know. But it's a massive crowd that come out to a desolate place. In, in Mark's gospel, when Mark tells a story in Mark chapter six, uh, Mark tells us that, that Jesus looked out on the crowd and he had compassion on them. Now that's something King Herod did not have, compassion. But Jesus is a different kind of king than Herod Antipas. Jesus is the kind of king that has compassion. And he looks out over the crowd and Mark's gospel tells us, now listen, listen, Mark's gospel tells us that when he looked out on the crowd, he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He heals, he teaches. And as the day goes on, the disciples get worried. It's gonna get dark soon. All these people gotta get home because we can't feed them all. And they, they come to Jesus and, and they say, Jesus, come on out, it's getting late and, and, and there's, no, there's no fast food around here. There's not Chick-fil-A around for miles. We haven't seen a Bojangles. I mean, none of that's around. We, we, we gotta send these people home. And look at what it says. Look, I, I love this. Look, you come down, verse 13. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. 
Now, Luke doesn't tell us this, but I think this is what's going on. Think about where the apostles had been. They had been out doing what? Casting out demons, performing miracles. They've been doing big things. When the apostles came back to Jesus, do you know what they had? I think big heads, right? Look at what we've done. Jesus says, okay, big head guys. Let's see you feed this crowd. Feed this crowd. Now that, it's one thing to cast out demons, right? But to feed a crowd of 25,000 people, how are we gonna do that? We've got no food. John's gospel tells us that there was a little boy and Andrew took his lunch. I don't think he took it like in a mean way. The boy offered it, right? Five loaves and two fishes. Luke tells us that Jesus had the crowd sit down in groups of 50 and then Jesus does it. You know the story. Luke tells us that he, he blessed the bread and broke it and began to pass it out. And when you and I get to heaven and God allows us into the eternal DVR room, this is the one we want to see played back. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, because the crowd saw it. They, they saw that Jesus had five loaves and two fish. The little boy knew it, like that's my lunch, right? I mean, they, they knew it. But it just keeps going and going and multiplying and multiplying and multiplying so much so that by the end of the meal, after everybody had had their fill of the food, there were 12 baskets left over. Jesus provided. He took care of their need. But, but, but here's the question, and here's where we gotta go this morning. Why? Why didn't Jesus send them home? But why does Jesus do this miracle? And why do all four gospel writers want us to see this miracle? Let me tell you why. This is not the only place in scripture where God's people have been in a desolate place. Do you remember the book of Exodus? After the Hebrew people came out of Egypt and they're following Moses in the wilderness, It's a desolate place. And what do they complain about? Food. Moses, we're hungry. I mean, we had plenty of food in Egypt. Sure, they beat us half to death, but at least they fed us. You brought us out here to die. You remember what happened? Every morning when they got up, they'd gather tent, and there it was. Manna on the ground. They didn't have to go to Walmart to buy it. They have to go to Waffle House to get it cooked up. I mean, it was there. God provided. Now, here you are. Now, watch this, watch this, watch this. In Luke's gospel, God yet again is providing. But this is much different than the wilderness where he provided manna. Now, Jesus Christ, the God-man, God in the flesh is there before his people and, and God is feeding his people from his very hands. Do you follow what Luke and the other gospel writers want us to know? That here he is. God is present among his people. The real king is here. Now, here's what happens. And make a long story short, when you turn over to John's gospel, what John's gospel says in John chapter six, when John records the story, is that the people, man, they get excited. They're pumped about this. And they try to make Jesus king by force. But it's not time yet. And so Jesus escapes from the crowd. He walks on water, you know that story. And then sometime later, maybe a day or so later, the people find him. And Jesus says something like this to them in John chapter six. The only reason you're seeking after me is because you're hungry and you want some food. But can I tell you, 
I've got something better to give you than food. Oh, this is so good because you know what Jesus says, don't you? He looks at the crowd and he says, listen, I've got a bread for you that never perishes. I am the bread of life. You see, you think you need a lot of things in this life. But come on, come on. You don't. You think you need two cars in the garage. You don't. You think you need, right, uh, that, that boat and, and that, that trailer. You don't. You think you need everything to work out for you just like you plan. You don't. You think you need all kinds of things. <laughs> but all you really need, my friend, is the bread of life. At the end of the day, all you need is Jesus because Jesus is the only one that's going to sustain you for all of eternity. And so here you see it in this passage of scripture, right? That, that one, Jesus knows us how, knows how to give us what we need to serve him. But, but also think about the second truth. Jesus provides the reason for you to serve him. The reason why we serve Jesus is because Jesus has given us himself. We serve our king because we know what the king has given us himself. This king who gives himself to his people is going to go to a cross and die in the place of sinful man, going to rise from the dead so all of our sins could be forgiven so that we could feast on him forever. Do you see? And so I just want you to understand this and you know this. Jesus always gives you exactly what you need when you need it. Jesus knows how to give you himself when you need him. And when do you need him? Every hour of every day. You see, you forget that. You forget that you need Christ every hour of every day until life gets real hard. Until that diagnosis of cancer comes. Until your husband walks out on you. But you've been there. In that dark moment when your husband walked out on you, when that diagnosis of cancer came, and you were in that moment of desperation and need, someone called you, didn't they? And they said, hey, I love you. And I wanna pray with you right now. And in that moment, you were reminded that in that moment, Jesus is what you need. And he brought someone along your path just to remind you that everything's all right in Christ. Jesus knows how to give you what you need when you need it, and what you need is him. Or think about this. Since you know that, since you know that Jesus always gives you exactly what you need when you need it, man, what would it look like for us as his people to thank God for what we have instead of focusing on what we don't have? Because we're really good at that, aren't we? I mean, there's some things in my life, you can ask my wife, I'm just dying to spend some money on, right? There's some things I don't have that I dream about having. I mean, I mean we're all that way. And so, so you, I, I have a tendency sometimes just to get tunnel focused on those things I want, right? Whether it's the boat or the new car or this or that. I mean, we have a tendency, right? And sometimes what I fail to do is to thank God for what I already have. And what I already have in Christ is more than enough. And what happens in my life and probably what happens in your life is, man, I can become really ungrateful really fast, and I have no reason to be ungrateful, not when I consider what I have in Christ. Because now, now watch this, watch this. I, I know it's time to go, but just listen to me. I have Christ. I have access to him every hour of every day. At three o'clock this morning, when I couldn't sleep, I could open my eyes and I could pray to the God of all creation. When I got up at five o'clock this morning, I could open up scripture. 
and talk to my Savior. You see what I'm saying? That there is never a moment in my life that I don't have Christ. There's never a moment in my life that I don't have access to his presence, right? May I have what I need in him. And yet I get so focused on what I don't have, it doesn't make any sense, does it? And so what would it look like for you just to be more grateful for what Christ has given you in himself? And think about this. What would it look like for you to pursue the one who gives you what you need instead of pursuing what you think you need? Here's what I want you to do this morning. Just hang with me. What I want you to do this morning is a waste analysis. Because I bet you if you're like me, you could look at your life and see a lot of waste. I waste a lot of time thinking about things I don't have that I want. I waste a lot of time, right? trying to pursue my passions and, my, and things that I think are gonna make me happy in life. And you do too. There's a lot of waste in our lives. I waste more time on the stuff of this world sometimes than I spend my time wisely pursuing the one who loves me, who died for me and rose again for me. And so if you were to do a waste analysis this morning, where are you wasting your time? Where are you wasting your resources? Where are you wasting your abilities? Because I bet for every one of us, There's some areas of waste in our lives where we're pursuing stuff that's not going to ever give us what Christ has already given us in himself. Do you follow me? And for you as a follower of Jesus this morning, as we end our time, it's confessing that. It's saying, Jesus, I understand that you have given me in yourself all that I need, all I need to serve you and all I need, right? to live for your glory. And so God, help me not to spend my life wasting away, pursuing things that will never give me what you've already given me and help me to live for you, for your glory and your purpose in my life, you see. Would you do a waste analysis this morning and confess to God those areas in your life where you're being wasteful? I'm not saying don't enjoy the good gifts of God. but I am saying that we all have a tendency to pursue other things as if they are God, and that's idolatry. Would you ask God to help you do a waste analysis? When the early church reflected back on this passage and they read that Jesus blessed the bread and broke it, you know what they thought of, don't you? When the early church reflected back on this passage and they read in Luke's gospel that he blessed the bread, broke it, and multiplied it, they, they, they thought about the Lord's Supper. When Jesus, in the upper room, gathered his disciples around a table and took bread and broke it, passed it around, and said, this is my body, the body of Christ that body that that after that last supper would go to a cross and hang on a cross for us as Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man, would go to a cross and suffer the death that every single one of us deserved because of our sin and rebellion against him. This one who would suffer in our place and, and, and absorb the punishment that was coming after us, who would take on the righteous wrath of God on our behalf, who would be judged in our place. You see? This one who is the bread of life would die for you so your sins could be forgiven, 
He would rise from the dead three days later so that you could taste and see that he is good, that you could feast on him forever. Do you see what I'm saying, my friend? For some of you this morning, it's time. It's time for you to feast on the bread of life by confessing Jesus Christ is Lord, by turning from your sin and turning to him in faith. There is a God who loves you, who sent his son Jesus for you. And if you choose to reject the gift of salvation, you will suffer eternity apart from him. But today you can experience the grace of Jesus Christ by trusting him by faith and giving your life to him. You can experience salvation for your sins. As we end our time together, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you. In the corners of this room are two crosses. If you'd like to place your faith in Jesus today to give your life to him in faith, go to one of these crosses. There'll be someone there who's ready to pray with you and help you today begin a relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online, you're gonna see a number on the screen. Text the name Jesus to that number and we'll reach out to you today and help you begin a relationship with Jesus. I don't know how God is leading you to respond this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe he's leading you to respond by repenting of the excuses that you regularly give for not serving him. Maybe he's leading you to respond by taking that waste analysis and just confessing, God, here's where I'm wasting my time, my resources, when I should be pursuing you. Maybe he's leading you to respond by placing your faith in him. However, he's leading you to respond you obey his voice this morning. Father, thank you for today, for time and your word, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come, you've lived, you've died, you've risen again. So we can have life abundant and eternal. Thank you that all of our sins are forgiven. We've been given the gift of life because of you. You are our bread of life. If there's one in this room this morning who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray today will be the day that person will come and trust you as Lord. And Father, for the rest of us, Help us not to give you excuses. Help us to know that you've given us everything that we need to serve you, to live for you, to enjoy you. Help us be a people that pursue you, I ask. And ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You rise to your feet as we have a time of invitation together. You come as the Spirit of God this morning.